I want us to turn our attention to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. I want us to, from the Scriptures this morning, answer the question and be encouraged by the answer to the question, what do we do with anxiety and fear? What do we do with anxiety and fear? We've all to one degree or another been dealing with anxiety and fear over these last 10 months. Perhaps for some of you, it's been longer for various reasons. In fact, some of you have been dealing with it so long that your response to the current crisis is, let's move on with life. I want to be so careful this morning in what I say because I want to be both challenging and comforting to us with the truth this morning. And that is where we have to stand, dear ones, is with truth. So I want us to listen to these words from Jesus in Luke chapter 22, verses uh, Luke chapter 12, I'm sorry, verses 22 through 34. Listen to these words from Jesus, and then we'll dig in together. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 22. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouses nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They, they neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that you do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens so that, that, that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Would you join me in prayer this morning once again? Lord, as we study this text together this morning, we pray that your Spirit, who inspired these words in the original autographs, would now attend to our time, Lord, continue to shape our hearts and our lives into the image of Jesus. Help us to be obedient to him and what he calls us to here, not as a means to earn any favor with you, Lord, but because we trust you for our eternity. Therefore, we ought to have an eternal perspective on how we live our lives in worship every day. Lord, I pray that you would direct our hearts. Lord, convict where conviction needs to be, comfort where comfort needs to be. And I pray as well that if there are those who do not know you, who sit in our midst this morning, that you would convict them of their sin and their need of Christ. 
Pray that you would humble me and get me out of the way. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I do want to confess this morning that I have certainly struggled with fear and anxiety along with many of you. I want to confess that I have not done a good job from the pulpit of addressing the fear and anxiety that some of you have really been struggling with. That does not mean that I have not or the elders have not addressed some of those fears and anxieties in person or over the phone or praying for you. But I do ask that you would please forgive me this morning. We as leaders have not always responded well either. Some believe that we did the right thing in recently closing our doors. We as elders confess that we are not sure it was the best thing and that we, and as we stated earlier, we want to leave the decision of health in the hands of families and individuals. That being said, I do think it's appropriate for us to look to the words of Jesus this morning and assess our own hearts in the matters of anxiety and fear. On the one hand, I want the words of Jesus to challenge us about what is important regarding our lives as Christians in a fallen and corrupted world. And on the other hand, I also want His words to comfort us. But the comfort comes in some ways through being challenged about these very important matters. Here's the main point this morning. It's very simple to state. (laughs) It's quite another thing to live out. Do not be anxious. Trust God and focus on His kingdom. Dear ones, this is the call of this text this morning. Do not be anxious. Trust God and focus on His kingdom. I want us to see three actions we should take as we face anxiety and fear. And notice the way I've stated that. Three actions we should take as we face anxiety and fear. Because we will face anxiety and fear. The first is this. And these are pulled right from the text. You could have written this sermon. At least the the points, right? Do not be anxious about your life. Rather, trust God. Verses 22 through 28. Do not be anxious about your life, rather trust God. Look at verses 22 and 23. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Now Jesus begins by telling his disciples, and therefore through his disciples to us, do not Be anxious about your life. Life is more than food and clothing. Immediately, we understand something though, don't we? That's a reality here, which is that we need food and clothing. Jesus is not denying this, but we need to understand the the context of this argument. Previously to this, Jesus had given a parable about a a man who is storing up treasure Concerned about storing up treasure on earth. A man who was more concerned about his earthly possessions than his soul. He, he thought to himself that, that he had so much uh, by way of overflow in his crops that he needed to build more barns and uh, build more things up so that he might fill those barns with all of his bounty. And what he had not considered in his bounty was the state of his own soul. So Jesus begins this section having that parable in mind, that parable about not laying our treasures up 
on earth, but laying them up rather in heaven. He begins this section with not being anxious about food or clothing. Why? Well, he illustrates the point about God's care for them in the very next verse. Look at verse 24. He says, Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. Notice the overlap there of the parable he's just given. The the raven doesn't have to build barns in order for him to be fed of God, and yet God feeds them. And then in contrast to that, as Jesus draws out this illustration, he says, of how much more value are you than the birds? Amber has very much a thing. She does not like birds. So for her, this is one of you know, her favorite. We have way more value than the birds, right? <laughs> but consider that. You know, there is, a, there is an aspect of creation that Jesus is appealing to here. Genesis chapter 1, as God creates everything in the world, uh, He creates it so that it is good. Whether that is the birds of the air or the fish of the sea or the, the plant that grows from the ground, everything that He does, everything that He creates, ex nihilo, out of nothing, He creates His good. But there's only one creature that He creates that He says, let us make man in our image. In, in Latin, we call that the imago dei, the, the image of God. There's only one creature that He creates in His image, and that is mankind. If He cares such for the birds that He did not make in His image, how much more does He care for you who He does? Consider the birds. God takes care of them. And then in in light of this reality, Jesus issues a, a challenge to His disciples and now to us as we are here 2,000 years later in a time where we are feeling anxious and fearful. Verse 25. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that. Okay? This is Jesus. (laughs) He says it's a small thing to do that. Why are you anxious about the rest? The question, the challenge, can you add a single hour to your life? The obvious answer, of course, is no. Therefore, if you can't do something as small as this, why are you anxious about the rest? Robert Sine, in his commentary on this section in Luke says, quote, worry cannot prolong life even in the slightest way. It cannot contribute anything positive to one's life. As an aside, he says, the negative effect that worry and anxiety have upon the quality of health and length of life is becoming more and more recognized. Whereas, continuing the quote, the following verses teach that the believer need not worry. These teach that worry is futile. Again, just kind of highlighting that side note, he says the negative effect uh, that worry and anxiety have upon the quality of health and length of life is becoming more and more recognized. A quick search on the internet reveals reliable, don't look at the unreliable sources, but reliable scientific studies that prove this out. That the negative effect of worry and anxiety have an effect on the quality of health and length of life, and that is becoming more and more 
evident. So here is a salient point for us this morning, a challenge and a comfort. What do we do with our fear and anxiety? We look at them through the lens of truth. Now, Jesus has already set this up for us, has he not? In telling us that, that God cares for us more than he cares for the bird. We, we see other scriptures where this is talked about. You know, a, not a sparrow falls from the sky that the Lord is not aware. What do we do with our fear and anxiety? We look at them through the lens of truth. Again, the obvious answer to this is that none of us can add an hour to our lives. Why? Because God has appointed our days. Listen to what Psalm 139.16 says. This is a psalm of David. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Let me translate that poem to you. Before the foundation of the world, before you were ever, as the old saying goes, a glint in your father or mother's eye, God had numbered your days. God had numbered your days. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. As we are reminded here of a, a great theological point, very, very many points in fact. God is omniscient. God is sovereign. He is omniscient. He knows all things. He is omnipotent. He is powerful in all ways. Psalm 139 actually speaks of his omnipresence as well because he saw my, your unformed, my unformed substance in your mother's womb. Now, is this fatalism? You know, is, is this just, well, we're going to die anyway, we should live any way that we want to live, or, uh, or, or even the darker side of that, just, um, well, if God has numbered my days, therefore I have control over when my life ends? No. Is this saying, well, God is going to take care of me, therefore I am not to use wisdom? No, I mean, if you have a job in which God is providing for you, He has clearly provided for you a means to get bread and clothing. Is this, well, God will take care of me, therefore I can run out into traffic and that's fine. Remember the temptation of Satan to Jesus. Does the Scripture not say if you jump off the pinnacle of the temple here that God will send His angels to, to take charge over you and therefore you will not dash your foot against the stone? Now, wisdom explains that that is not what we are to do. But the truth is, remember, we're looking at fear and anxiety through the lens of truth. None of those things are true. We are to use wisdom. We are to use the means that God has given us for those things. But the truth is ultimately this, God has numbered our days, therefore he will care for us as he sees fit for our good and his glory for all the days he has numbered for us. That is the point of bringing those things together. But you have to submit yourself to this point as he sees fit. God has numbered our days and is providing for us and caring for us in the ways that He has foreordained for those things to happen. 
And we cannot avoid it. That's not fatalism. That's truth. That's God's sovereignty. But as we submit ourselves to that, we gain what we need as perspective in regard to fear and anxiety. Jesus illustrates this again with nature. Look at verses 27 and 28. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? He's saying, uh, consider uh, the flowers of the field They wither and die, or they are caught up and thrown into a fire. They have their usefulness for a time, but but they are gotten rid of. And yet God arrays them in such beauty. So I, I, you know, picked on my wife a little bit about birds. She does love flowers, okay? So she loves sunflowers. We've gotten to see fields and fields of sunflowers. But the truth is, is that seasons come and seasons go, and those sunflowers wither and fade. But when they're in full bloom, how beautiful are they? Absolutely gorgeous. How much more will God take care of you than those things that have not been made in His image? He illustrates with nature. Do we believe, dear ones? He says, Oh, you of little faith here. The question then, the challenge then is, do we believe that God will take care of us? How do we address anxiety and fear? We look at it through the lens of truth and we look at it through the lens of faith. This is not fatalism. But the question is, are we pursuing life with wisdom or with anxiety? Are we pursuing life with wisdom or with anxiety? This is not for me to decide, to tell you whether or not you are uh, pursuing life with wisdom or anxiety, but for you to consider. The challenge presented here is to consider our current situation in light of truth. And I will admit, that's a hard thing to determine, is it not? What is the truth? We've heard varying stories about the current health crisis. You have to decide for yourself in that regard. But that's not even ultimately what I'm getting at. What is the lens of truth concerning and the lens of faith concerning all of life, not just the current situation? In other words, if if you have not counted the cost of faith until now, you will be ill-equipped for the next crisis and the next and the next. And especially when real persecution comes and whether you have faith or not may cost you your life regardless of any health crisis. The real challenge that is coming for us is a challenge that the church has faced for 2,000 years, dear ones. And that is real, tangible persecution. If you've not counted the cost of following Jesus now, you'll be ill-equipped for the next thing that is coming. And I'm not saying it's coming because of any administration or political, you know, thing. I mean... Regardless of that, regardless of who is in office, it is coming. There has never been a time in history like the time that we've experienced for the last 200 years. And if our hope is in uh, the, the government or society or culture loving us, then, 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 then we are of all people most to be pitied. Our hope is in the resurrection. 
Our hope is in life eternal. That still is not fatalistic, dear ones. That is the promise of Christ in the resurrection. And we face fear and anxiety and persecution through that lens. And it has not cost us very much in this country. And we need to be thankful for that. I'm not saying that I'm you know, excited for the day that comes when we will not be able to exercise those freedoms as we have been. But with that in view, how have we prepared ourselves to live by faith and through the lens of truth? What if the threat of gathering as a church has nothing to do with the spread of a disease, but someone comes along and says, if you believe what this church believes, we're going to take you to prison. Or worse, we're going to take your life. What does Jesus say in response to this? Listen to his words in Matthew chapter 10, verses 28 through 33. And do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. In other words, he is sovereign over these things even. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Jesus brings this up again, this issue of anxiety and fear up again in light of nature and in light of who God is to us. But now he brings it up in light of persecution, not food and clothing. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. And listen to what he says next. And we struggle with this, but we should not. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Well, we don't like that now, do we? It's not nice that the preacher would preach those verses. Well, there they are. And those are Jesus' words, not mine. How will we stand when someone says, wait a minute, you're a Christian? I mean, like, a real Christian? You believe in that born-again stuff? You believe that homosexuality is a sin? You believe that abortion is a blight on our country? You believe that people who die in their sins go eternally to hell? Off to prison with you or off with your head. It's a challenge, isn't it? But in the midst of it is comfort. God cares for you. God cares for you. By the way, I believe that everything I said earlier is true, but the gospel is for everyone, regardless of their sin. That's the hope, isn't it? The hope is that people who sin in many and varied ways would come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and that they would have the same hope that we have in the gospel and the resurrection. It's not fatalistic, though, at the end of the day. I want you to hear me clearly on that. We're not talking about Jesus telling us to run out in front of the charging chariot. I mean, because they didn't have cars back then. 
But let me ask you this. Wouldn't you if it was to save someone's life? And what if it means that proclaiming the gospel, regardless of the cost, that there is a, that there is a cost, but rather that may save someone's life? What if it means acknowledging him when it is unsafe to do so? Which one of us can add an hour to our lives and none of us can? I'm reminded of Harold Honer, the great New Testament scholar who wrote a nearly 900-page commentary on the book of Ephesians. You know how small Ephesians is? He wrote a nearly 900-page commentary on the book of Ephesians. He was 74 years old and an avid runner. He ran every day. He was, in all senses of the word, a model of health. After one of his regular morning runs, he came home and dropped dead on his floor. Compare that to those who are young models of health and have died from COVID. Really, there's no explanation of it. Perhaps in the years to come, they will have explanations of it. But as of right now, we don't know. The point is, God knows. And He decides. And He calls us in the midst of us not knowing and Him fully knowing to something. He calls us to trust. He calls us to trust him. It's not blindly. It's not blind faith, okay? Christians do not have a blind faith. We believe in something. We believe in someone. And we need to trust his word. He calls us to see the way he cares for all of creation. And in light of that, asks us, how much more does he care for those who are his? The challenge, therefore, is to trust. The comfort then is God is sovereign. But Jesus has more to say about this and it leads us to our second point. Don't be worried, rather seek his kingdom. Do not be worried, rather seek his kingdom. In verses 29 through 31, read those again with me. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. And your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Again, we see an encouragement from Jesus here. The encouragement is, do not worry. By stating not to seek food or drink, again, we must not understand this is not working because God is going to magically make food and drink appear. Okay. Once again, He is highlighting the idea that if God provides for the birds and the fields, He will also provide for you. This is what the nations seek after who do not know God. Therefore, knowing God and knowing He will provide, our foremost concern is His kingdom and the seeking of it. That is our foremost concern. The foremost concern of believers is to seek the kingdom of God, knowing that God will care for us. Certainly in obedience to Him, we are to work. Uh, just so you understand that, again, we're not talking about uh, somehow isolating ourselves from anything and God's just going to make food magically appear. Now, I think that there are times where clearly in the Scriptures God has done that. Manna from heaven, these kinds of things in extreme circumstances. You, You think about George Mueller and the orphanage and the prayers that he prayed and that suddenly people would show up with uh, groceries and, and, and these kinds of things. But, but, you know, Mueller was working, was he not? How did Paul exhibit seeking the kingdom first while also working? Say, so how can I do that? 
And we have this tendency, I'm going to bring this up again in a little bit, this tendency to like compartmentalize our lives. How can we exhibit seeking the kingdom while working? Listen to what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2, 9 through 12. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we may, might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Did you hear that? Let me, let me read it again. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. How does Paul pursue putting the kingdom first while working? This is what we've talked about oftentimes in this local assembly. It's known as formal and informal discipleship. It happens in the daily routines of life. As we walk through life, as we do the things that God has called us to do, we're going to see in a moment where God says that we are to work. Paul put the kingdom first by incorporating into his life and his work always the, the gospel. That's where, Paul is where we get the idea of tent-making ministry. Have you ever heard that before? Tent, why do we say tent-makers? <clears throat> because Paul was a tent-maker. Probably a pretty good one because he was going from city to city and making tents. And at the same time, he was proclaiming the gospel. It was in the, the old terminology, it was in the warp and woof of everything that he did. In a very similar vein, in the second letter to the Thessalonians, he says, For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, <clears throat> Excuse me. nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have the, that right but to give you an, in ourselves an example to imitate. Paul's saying, I could have come, and as a minister of the gospel, the, the church should care for me as, a, as an apostle and as an evangelist. But so as to be a good example to you, I still worked so that you would imitate us. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. I love the, the colorful language there. Not busy at work, but rather busy bodies. You know what that means, right? Gossips, uh, stirring up trouble. Now such persons we command and encourage you in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. And he says if they're unwilling to do that, then you put them out of the church. Second Thessalonians 3, 7 through 12. So ultimately, how do, we, how do we deal with this? It's about priority. Again, I've oftentimes explained to you about compartmentalizing our lives. No, all of life, all of life is worship of God. All of it. We're, we're actually studying that on Wednesday nights. If you'd like to be here on Wednesday nights, we're walking through what it means to how, how we grow in our Christian walk. And, and we're currently on this idea of worship being all of what we do with our lives. Worship of God, love of God, and neighbor is all of life. So thinking again of our verses back in Luke chapter 12, look at it again. Verses 29 through 31. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink. 
for all the nation, uh, sorry, and do not be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. So thinking on these things, how do we practically do this in our situation? First this, consider what your priority is. Is your priority health and safety, or is it the kingdom? Is your priority carelessness in the face of others' fears or to care for them as those who are a part of the kingdom? Is your priority health and safety or is it the kingdom? Is your priority carelessness in the face of others' fears or to care for them as a priority of the kingdom? Now listen, I'm not saying run out into traffic or push others into traffic. But I want to challenge you to think and pray about your motivations for why you are living your life the way you are living it right now. This is for you alone or for you and your spouse to consider. But it is a challenge to think through our motives. Are you living in fear? Are you being overly cautious? Please remember, I said these are things for you to consider. I am not saying that these things are so. Or are you throwing caution to the wind? Are you not thinking of others? Perhaps the most important question that applies to all of us, what is the end goal for how I am living my life right now in view of the current situation in the world? Is it for the glory of God? Or is it for something that is more centered upon me? Is this about the church and wanting those to come back who have not been here? Well, I do miss you. Those who I have not seen face to face in now almost a year. I do desire for us all to be gathered in worship. I certainly want for you to consider that. But it's also about what we spoke concerning last week. It's about unity. It is about not doing anything with selfish ambition. But in love for the church, reaching out to one another, whether you're currently sheltering at home or one has been moving about in the city. Is there, I know it's difficult because we're not seeing each other face to face, but is there a interconnectedness? There is a way. We live in such a a rich technological time that we can be in conversation with each other even if we cannot see each other. My question is, are we reaching out to one another and caring for one another? What is your priority? If you cannot say that your priority is seeking God's kingdom, then the question is, are you obeying Jesus' words here? And I want to say the only way that we can accomplish this is through the grace that God gives us in Christ to adjust our perspective, which leads us to our final point. And I realize we're coming to the end of our time, but I don't care. Fear not. Rather, adjust your perspective. Let this be the balm, dear ones here. At the end, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That does not end with a question mark. It ends with a period. This is the promise of God to his flock, to his people, to his children. 
It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Fear not, little flock. I hope after hearing the challenges above, you can find absolute comfort in these words. Fear not, little flock. Who is that? It is we who are his sheep. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Again, we understand that there needs to be work and provisions for our own family, but where is our heart as the challenge is here? Are we laying up treasures for heaven? Or are we so focused on making it here on earth? See, here's the reality. There is coming a day when the issue is not going to be a global pandemic. There's coming a day when we will have to choose between faithfulness to Christ with certain consequences or denying Him. We are currently kingdom people. We will likely not be able to exercise our religious freedoms the ways in which we do always. Are we preparing for that now? Where is our treasure? Is it in health and safety? Is it in making sure we don't lose our freedoms, whatever the cost, even if it costs us the integrity of our faith? Or is our treasure in the promised kingdom, which God has already given to us in the beloved, but will someday come as heaven upon earth? Again, my call this morning is to have you consider the cost at which God rescued us from this world. The cost of the eternal Son putting on humanity, living a perfect life, and dying in the place of sinners so that we might have eternal hope. Is that where your hope? Is that where your treasure is this morning? As Christians, is our hope in health and safety or an earthly freedom... Or is it in the kingdom? We are kingdom people. And then lastly, I would say, if you are one who is here and is not in Christ, if you've not submitted yourself to Christ, is your hope in living a good life and hoping that there's nothing after death? If you're right and I'm wrong, well, then there are no consequences. But if I'm right... That is, if God's word is right and you're wrong, the consequences are eternal. You will spend eternity in a place of torment under the wrath of God instead of in his joyous pleasure in the kingdom. My call to you is to turn from your sin and trust him. Would you pray with me? Lord, may we experience both the challenge and the comfort this morning. The challenge, Lord, that we cannot add an hour to our life. It doesn't mean that we are to be unwise and frivolous and careless. But it does mean that we need to entrust ourselves to you and we need to value what you value, which is your glory and your kingdom. Help us to do that, Lord. I pray that we would be unified, though we may have varying 
opinions about what we're dealing with currently, that we might reach out to one another and care for one another, that we might be challenged by truth this morning and and let our perspective be adjusted by truth and by our faith and trust in you. Lord, for those who do not know you, I pray that today would be the day that they would turn from their sin and trust in Christ alone, that they might have eternal hope as we have. So Lord, we praise you and thank you this morning. Pray that you would take away anything that would be a distraction and only let us hear and learn and grow from what is true. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.